In this era of international trade, perhaps a concept like the Silk Road seems outdated or something that would best belong to ancient times. However, the truth of the matter is that we owe much of our modern understanding of commerce to it. The Silk Road, for those who, like yours truly, have been far removed from a middle school world history class, was a series of interconnected tried-and-true trade routes that crisscrossed, like the complex tapestry of a spider's web, the Asian continent, connecting such far-flung and disparate places as Constantinople, now Istanbul, in the west to Peking, present-day Beijing, in the east. By way of camel caravans, luxury goods and hot commodities were carried overland for thousands of miles, linking much of the then-known world in a vast trade network that could easily rival what we have today. Silk from China, frankincense from Arabia, spices from India, these were some of the products that the Silk Road saw in its heyday a millennium ago. But it wasn't just goods that were transported across its dust-ridden trails. People, as well as ideas, made their way up and down the Silk Road as well, including the ancestors of the subject of today's episode. For over a thousand years, the city of Kaifeng in eastern China has been home to a unique and thriving yet mysterious Jewish community. Though the Jewish diaspora has seen the Jewish people scattered throughout the globe, sometimes in the remotest of places, what sets the Kaifeng Jews apart is that they did not come to China fleeing anything. Whereas most of their brethren in Europe and the Middle East have moved on to greener pastures, so to speak, as a result of continued persecution, the Jews who make up Kaifeng's community were themselves merchants along the Silk Road whose business in China was to simply earn a living. But now, after centuries of a relatively peaceful and prosperous existence within its borders, they have become the target of sitting President Xi Jinping's purge of all things foreign and Western, that is, those that originally came from outside of China and therefore not inherently Chinese. What President Jinping doesn't realize, however, is that the Kaifeng Jews are an integral part of China's history and are as Chinese as, say, the Great Wall or the Terracotta Warriors of Qishou Wangdi's tomb, and yet their future in China hangs in the balance and could very well be threatened. Just who are the Kaifeng Jews? Where did they come from? And is their heritage in jeopardy. I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. Imagine for a moment, if you will, a dusty pass in the rugged Tian Shan Mountains on the border between Kyrgyzstan and China around the year 1000. A caravan of Bactrian, that is, the two-humped variety of camels, makes its way towards China with goods gathered from Europe and the Middle East. A motley crew of Arab and Persian traders form this particular outfit, and often have to traverse harsh climates and rough terrain in order to get where they're going. Most of the men are Muslim, some are Christian, and fewer still, some are Jews, many of whom hail from what's now Iraq, Iran, and the former emirate of Bukhara in Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. These Jews will ultimately settle in Kaifeng, the capital of China during the Northern Song Dynasty, 960-1127, a large cosmopolitan city on a branch of the Silk Road in the eastern part of the country. The year of origin for Kaifeng's Jewish community remains hotly debated amongst historians, but most favor a date sometime in the aforementioned Northern Song Dynasty. Regardless, by 1163, their presence in the city was well recorded, and a synagogue opened that same year. Fashioned out of two adjoining pagoda-like structures, it stood for nearly 500 years. Its liturgy and religious practices were held primarily in Persian, specifically the Bukharan dialect, which is why it's believed that the founders of this community originally hailed from the Bukhara region of Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. Others came from Persia via merchant ships that sailed from the Persian Gulf and across the Indian Ocean to southern China at roughly the same time. Once there, isolated from their people and countries of origin, they intermarried with the Han Chinese majority, the descendants of whom continued to maintain their faith and religious heritage while slowly but surely losing their Persian ancestry, in essence becoming fully Asian, racially speaking. 
By the Ming Dynasty, 1368 to 1644, the Kaifeng Jews had become a fixture as well as a defining presence in the city. It was during this time that an emperor bestowed upon them eight surnames to distinguish their unique heritage. To this day, Ai, Gan, Gao, Jin, Li, Shi, Zhang, and Zhao are all Jewish last names in China, some of which are comparable to gold and stein, the latter being the Yiddish word for stone, in the West. But then, in 1642, the community suffered a crushing blow when a devastating flood destroyed much of the town, including the synagogue. One of its congregants, Gao Zhuan, reportedly dove into the building numerous times to retrieve the remnants of the sacred Torah scrolls housed there, which, along with the temple itself, were restored and rewritten over the course of eleven years. By 1653, thanks in great part to the efforts of one Chao Ying Chin, the rebuilt synagogue was complete and the restored Torah scrolls were placed in the newly furnished Ark. Thus, the Kaifeng Jews were able to resume their religious practices, and life once more returned to normal. For a good five centuries, little if anything at all was known of this Jewish enclave outside of China. It wasn't until 1605 when an Italian Jesuit priest named Matteo Ricci, who at the time was based in Beijing, was visited by a Jew named Aitien that the West was first exposed to this fascinating hidden culture. In his account, De Cristiana Expeditione Apud Sinas, or On the Christian Mission Among the Chinese in English, Ricci recalls a conversation he had with Tien, in which the latter stated that he worshipped only one god and mistook an image of Mary and the baby Jesus as Rebecca with an infant Esau from the Hebrew Bible. Tien went on to explain that there was an entire community of Jews in Kaifeng, much to Ricci's surprise and interest. A few years later, he sent a Chinese Jesuit envoy to Kaifeng in an attempt to gather as much information on the Jews as was possible. While there, the envoy copied the beginnings and ends of each of the holy books within the synagogue, thus allowing Ricci to confirm that they were, in fact, the same Old Testament known to Europeans. Inflamed by this discovery, he quickly wrote a letter to the quote-unquote ruler of the synagogue, what we'd know today as the chief rabbi, informing him that, according to Christian tradition, the Messiah for whom the Jews are waiting had already come. In a written reply, the chief rabbi stated that the Messiah was not due for another 10,000 years, and even offered Ricci the opportunity to be his successor if he would only join their faith and uphold the proper kosher dietary laws. While Ricci did not ultimately take him up on this, it was his account of his interactions with the Kaifeng Jewish community that gave the Western world a glimpse into this otherwise hidden culture, inspiring other Europeans to do the same. Over the course of the next couple centuries, a handful of Jesuits from all over Europe would themselves make the trek to Kaifeng to see what Ricci had written about in his book. In the elapsing two centuries, the Jews lived in relative peace and prosperity. By this point, they had largely intermarried with the Han Chinese majority, as well as the Hui, Manchu, and other ethnic groups, and had become fully assimilated into Chinese culture, all the while maintaining their religious heritage. But... In the 1850s, the Taiping Rebellion broke out, essentially a massive civil war between the reigning Qing dynasty and the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom, and a recognized theocratic monarchy of mixed Christian and Chinese folk religion background, the citizens of Kaifeng were displaced as a result of all the fighting. This naturally included the city's Jewish population. Though they eventually returned, the synagogue had been destroyed in the conflict, along with its sacred relics and holy books, an event that ultimately led to the demise of the community. In 1867, when the first Western Jew, J.L. Lieberman visited Kaifeng. He reported that their liturgy consisted of, quote, mere fragments from the Bible, unquote, but that they, quote, still had a burial ground of their own, unquote. Another Western Jew, S.M. Perelman, noted in 1912 of their burial practices, quote, they bury their dead in coffins, but of a different shape than those of the Chinese are made, and do not attire the dead in secular clothes as the Chinese do, but in linen, unquote. 
But the story of the Kaifeng Jews was far from over, largely in light of the post-World War II political situation in China, during which time all religion was essentially wiped out in favor of Chairman Mao Zedong's particular brand of communism, it wasn't until the 1980s that renewed interest in Chinese Jewry came about as a result of massive government reforms. The establishment of the Sino-Judaic Institute, comprised of Jewish and non-Jewish scholars alike, helped ignite the flame. Diplomatic ties between Israel and China were established in 1992, and endure to this day. It was in this political climate that the descendants of the Kaifeng Jews returned to their faith and heritage over a century after the synagogue was destroyed, saving a rich and vibrant culture that may well have been lost forever were it not for the efforts of both the Chinese government and historians, both Jew and non-Jew alike, the world over. Today, the Kaifeng Jews number somewhere at around 500 and consist of about 100 families. An additional thousand Chinese citizens trace their lineage back to the Kaifeng community, but, of that thousand, only a handful partake in religious observances, somewhere between 40 and 50. What's more, their religion is now being targeted by sitting President Xi Jinping's purge of all things foreign or Western, especially religions that are not inherently or traditionally Chinese, according to him. This puts Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, and Jews in a difficult position, as all three religious groups have lived and thrived in China for centuries. Luckily, a number of Kaifeng Jews have fled to Israel, where they are free to practice their faith and keep their customs alive. Still, many others remain in China, facing an uncertain future. What will become of their community and heritage if they stay? Time will tell, but in the meantime, it's imperative that they stay true to their origins, as their brethren in the Jewish diaspora have since ancient times, in the face of such adversity. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening, and a very warm and happy Hanukkah to all my Jewish followers. If you like what you hear and would like to support this podcast to ensure future quality content, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just go to anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button. There you'll find monthly support plans in three different tiers. Any and all help, even just listening, is greatly appreciated, and I'm so thankful for all you guys. Also, if you're on Instagram, please give me a follow at history underscore loves underscore company. Again, that's at history underscore loves underscore company for history fun facts as well as updates and the latest news on my podcast. Be sure to tune in next Thursday and every Thursday for a brand new episode of the History Loves Company podcast because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time.